One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. Hey there, and welcome back to the Inflammation Nation podcast. I'm Dr. Steve Nosworthy. We're in the middle of a little mini-series where we're talking about different hormones and, and the applications of those hormones to health. And uh, we're trying to go through the discussion with some semblance of order uh, where we're kind of ranking um, hormones in terms of their metabolic importance. So we started with thyroid. We just finished a couple of sessions or episodes where we talked about insulin. And before we move on to other hormones that are very critically important, uh, like stress hormones, i.e. cortisol, and then the reproductive hormones, I want to just take a little bit of time and talk about something that's really not discussed very often at all, hardly at all in conventional medicine, with the exception of, I think, certain types of conditions, uh, but not even talked about much at all in terms of functional medicine or nutritional, functional nutrition practices, and that is the hormone glucagon. Now, glucagon is the, uh, let's call it the counter-regulatory opponent of insulin. And insulin, of course, is quite important. And if we can characterize it as our storage and grow hormone, then glucagon is the opposite of that. It is the liberate and use hormone. And what I mean by that is when we look at hormonal responses to food, like dietary macronutrient intake, with insulin, you're going to get a large insulin uh, bump or spike, depending on the type of carbohydrate you're eating and how much you're eating. But basically, insulin responds predominantly to carbohydrates, whether they're eaten alone or in combination with other macronutrients and what we might call a mixed macronutrient meal. You get some insulin response from protein ingestion just by itself, but you get very little um, insulin response from eating fats. But nevertheless, if we eat food with carbohydrates in it or eat carbohydrates by itself, insulin goes up so we can take that glucose and take it out of the bloodstream, put it into the cells. Uh, and if it's a muscle cell, we'll use that, for example, to create energy for muscular movement, for activity and exercise. We might store some of it in the muscle and in, in the form of, say, glycogen. Glycogen storage happens in the liver. And then we talked just a little bit in a couple of episodes about how insulin causes fat cells to grow because that's part of what insulin's job is, is to get nutrients into cells, including fat cells. Well, glucagon does the exact opposite. And so honestly, we can't really have a sensible conversation about insulin or its action or someone's insulin level without also having a discussion about glucagon, where it comes from, what it does, and then ultimately how we might be able to manipulate that. Now we have you know, some tools to measure it. We can measure it through standard labs. Um, and predominantly, the way that we manipulate glucagon levels is through changing our macronutrient intake, just the same thing as with insulin. And so ideally, you kind of want to look at both of those at the same time to see how these counter-regulatory hormones are balancing out, because depending on the upswing or the downswing of either insulin and or glucagon, 
going to have a different metabolic effect. So for example, if your insulin is high and your glucagon is low, then that is an absolute metabolic signal for your body to take nutrients and to pack it away, to store it away for long-term. And that would include, again, glycogen in liver and muscles and then fat in your fatty tissue. And unfortunately, um, most in most cases, when we're dealing with a hormonal environment where we have high insulin, low glucagon, the cells are going to grow the most are actually going to be um, the fat de deposits in the liver as well as the adipocytes or the fat cells themselves. And so let's talk about glucagon. So glucagon also is produced by the pancreas. So the pancreas has uh, you know several different functions. It ha has the secretory function where it makes hormones. It also has another function where it produces things like uh, pancreatic enzymes, which is a broad base of enzymes designed to finish off the digestion of proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, which, you know, that's that functionality is contributed with stomach acid in, uh, in the stomach, obviously, as well as bile from the gallbladder, et cetera. And so the pancreas makes enzymes to aid in the digestive process, but the, the uh, beta cells of the pancreas make insulin, but there's also another population of cells called alpha cells, which make this hormone called glucagon. And I guess it kind of makes sense from a design standpoint to have these two um, opposing hormones produced from the same system. To me, that makes sense from, from a design perspective. Um, and so anytime that we eat a, a mixed meal, because most of us are not, well, I shouldn't say that because there are a lot of people who eat predominantly carbohydrates, a very low protein, very low fat intake. Um, there are some people who swing the other way and they have lots of protein and fat, very little carbohydrates. But let's take the average North American Western diet, and that's kind of spreading across the globe. So I, I don't even know if we can call it the standard American diet anymore because it seems to be becoming a global phenomenon. But let's say that you have a mixed macronutrient meal where you've got some fat, some carbs, and so protein all together in one place. What ends up happening is your pancreas is going to essentially sense the macronutrient profile, and it's either going to increase the production of insulin or glucagon in some balance to accomplish the task of being able to take those nutrients and compartmentalize them either to be used as fuel protein and amino acids for building blocks. And so the, on the fuel side, we're talking about using carbohydrates or using uh, fatty acids. But for the most part, when you start to look at this, this kind of intelligent aspect of how the system is designed, if you are to eat predominantly carbohydrates, you're going to get an, an insulin spike and actually glucagon is going to be inhibited. And this is, if, if you want a recipe to increase your body fat, all you need to do is eat carbs alone, eat a lot of carbs in comparison to protein and fat. And what will happen is your insulin goes up and that's your, your store and grow signal and your glucagon levels will go down. And remember the glucagon signal is to liberate and use. And so while insulin takes nutrients and packs it away in different cell types, um, glucagon will liberate nutrients that are in the cell and allow you to utilize, utilize them as fuel. And, and so obviously you, you want to have a balance of those two things and send your body consistent metabolic signals, continuous inputs that give it clear instructions about what your goals are. 
So listen, if your goal is to increase your, your body weight and your body fat, just eat lots of carbs and hardly any fat and protein and eat carbs by themselves. That's where you will maximize your insulin output, minimize your glucagon output, and the end result is going to be you're going to gain body fat either by increasing the number of fat cells you have or the amount of fat that's stored in the cells. You're probably going to get a non-alcoholic fatty liver along the way, and your muscles are not going to be very efficient at utilizing fuel, and that might you know, present as fatigue and uh, all these kind of things. But if the opposite is true, if your goal and, and what you're aiming for is to minimize body fat, maximize energy production, and along the way have positive impacts on how your muscles are functioning, even if, even if your goal is not to increase your muscle mass. If your goal is to decrease your fat mass, let's say you're keeping your lean muscle mass the same, then you have to do the exact opposite of what triggers the insulin response, right? And, and remember this, and this is probably the most important thing that I can say about this particular topic, aside from clarifying exactly what glucagon is and what we can do about it, is to understand that, that the food that you eat and the macronutrient profile that you adopt is a set of instructions for your metabolic hormonal systems to do something very specific. And, you know, think of it as, as just a, a very simple input output scenario. And, and again, not to beat a dead horse, if the output you want is to increase your fat mass and to promote the probability of something like a non-alcoholic fatty liver, then just eat tons of carbs that have a high glycemic index. They spike your insulin, they inhibit your glucagon output, and you're going to accomplish that very, very efficiently. Hi there, it's Dr. Noseworthy. I want to extend my appreciation to all of you in the Inflammation Nation who have helped my podcast become a great success in these first few months. I truly appreciate you. Also wanted to let you know about my brand new do-it-yourself online program called the five-step gut protocol. I designed this program for people who want to take charge of their own health and stop waiting around for someone else to tell them what to do. I've combined old naturopathic principles with cutting-edge research to create a truly unique program that will help you construct your own gut protocol. If you've ever wondered if you have gut infections, a leaky gut, or a bad microbiome, then this program will walk you through the steps to figure that out and gives you the tools that you need to formulate a practical strategy to help make things better. I guarantee at the end of this course, you'll know more about your gut than your doctor does, and you will feel confident that you know how to address your unique situation. You can check it out at my website at www.drnoseworthy.com. That's drnoseworthy.com. And just look for the tab at the top that says the programs. Thanks for listening. Let me go back to that goal that most of us have, which is to decrease our body fat. Whether or not your, your total weight changes is a different issue. But most of us want to have less body fat. We want muscles that work effectively and efficient and efficiently and keep us functional. Then our job at that point is to limit insulin production and to maximize glucagon output. And if it is true, which it is, that the diet that you choose to eat, including the macronutrient profile that you adopt, and I'm talking about high carb, low carb, high protein, low protein, high fat, low fat, et cetera, that if you want to stimulate glucagon 
and you want to inhibit your insulin, you need to do a couple of things. You need to limit your carbohydrate intake so you can control your insulin so your insulin does not spike or stay elevated for long periods of time. And you want to use the protein in your diet to stimulate the production of glucon. That is our primary tool to keep a balance between insulin and glucagon so that we can promote our goals. Now, one of the unfortunate things, and I don't want to turn this into a like a weight loss or a fat loss episode or lecture, but one of the, the unfortunate things that came out of, say, gosh, the snack well generation in the 1980s, where everybody, it seems, became fat phobic, is that there, there kind of has been this swing in terms of increasing carbohydrate intake, and especially in the last five to 10 years, an increased emphasis on in, increasing uh, plant-based foods, which is not necessarily a bad thing, although we might have a series of episodes talking about that. My point is, is that over the last 10 to 20 years, 30 years, almost 40 years now, um, we have been getting bad information from those who control dietary guidelines in terms of emphasizing, I would say, overemphasizing carbohydrate intake and minimizing the intake of protein and healthy fat. And what that, what's, what that is doing is it's shifting this balance between insulin and glucagon where insulin is chronically activated, glucagon is chronically depressed. And that means we store and grow when we can't liberate and use. And that's exactly what we need if we want to do things like controlling our blood sugar and promoting things like fat loss and muscle functionality and efficiency. So let me, let me just kind of sum up by, by saying this, is that Insulin control is absolutely important, but the other part of that equation is to make sure that you are stimulating glucagon. So you might be someone who's trying to lose some body fat, control their blood sugar, and the only thing that you do is reduce your carbohydrates. Now, if you keep everything else the same, then you're also going to be dropping your calories, and that certainly can promote weight loss as well, although just simple calorie restriction doesn't necessarily mean that you're not losing muscle mass at the same time that you're losing fat mass. But an optimized approach to balancing insulin and glucagon, particularly if your goal is to recomposition or recomposite, is that the way to say it? Um, to, to go through what we call recompositioning is to lose fat mass and either maintain or increase your muscle mass. Then not only is it critical to control your insulin, it's critical to use protein to augment the production of glucagon. Now, the, the other upside of increasing your protein is I think twofold. And I could, if I took more time to think about it, I could probably add to the list. But the upside of increasing protein intake is number one, um, you know, in nature, we basically never see a, um, we never see protein without fat. That is how protein comes. It comes prepackaged with fat. And that should be a big clue to us that protein and fat should probably be consumed together doesn't tell us what amounts would be appropriate. It just says that there's a key biological and biochemical relationship between protein and fat. And then carbohydrate kind of sits off by itself. The other impact of in increasing your protein intake is that depending on what your activity levels are, just simply increasing your protein not only stimulates more glucagon, um, which allows you to utilize stored energy predominantly, as we say, in terms of stored body fat, but it can even without resistance training, increase your muscle protein synthesis rate. And, and we've seen this 
over and over and over again with clients who don't change their calories. They don't change their, um, they don't change their exercise program, either how much or the type of exercise they're doing. All they do is they drop their carbohydrates down to a point where their body can tolerate it and they're controlling insulin. And they increase their protein levels to maximize muscle protein synthesis for their given level of activity. And someone might, you know, drop 10 pounds of fat and gain five or six, seven pounds of muscle. And so they have a net scale change of minus three, three pounds, something like that. But they look and feel totally different because they dropped a bunch of fat and added a little bit of muscle. And if they wanted to go beyond that and increase either the quality of the resistance training or start it if they've not done it or do a different kind, then we can start to see the disparity or, or the difference between fat mass and lean mass continuing to improve. You know, ideally, and you don't ever want zero body fat. I mean, that's, you'd be dead if you had zero body fat. We need some body fat for hormones and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, but most of us want to change the relationship between the body fat we carry and the muscles that we have. In fact, I would say this, if I've not seen this before in this podcast, I think I've said it a couple of times, is that the number one predictor of aging independence, being able to grow old, be functional, and not need someone to take care of you in, in your basic necessities, the number one predictor of aging independence is your absolute strength, which is tied to your muscle mass and how you use it on a routine basis. And so let me just end with this. And I know I said I was going to end it a couple of minutes ago. Um, if you're interested in, in increasing your protein intake, um, I'm not going to get into, at least in this discussion about, you know, like qualities of proteins and all that kind of stuff. It, I talked a lot about that in the mini series we did on um, discovering your ideal food code or, um, you know, crafting your ideal diet. I can't remember what I named that series of, of episodes. Um, but there's a lot of research out right now and has been coming out in the last decade or so. One of the, the top muscle protein synthesis research is a, is a guy named Stort, um, Stort McGill. No, sorry, Stort Phillips. <laughs> Forgive me, Stort, if you ever hear this. Um, Stort Phillips, um, he's uh, at McMaster University, I believe, up in uh, Canada. He's one of the top premier researchers these days. If you just Google his name, Stort Phillips and, and protein, you'll come up with any number of lectures that he has, say, on YouTube or uh, where he's been a, a guest on someone, someone's podcast. Maybe I'll get him on here one of these days. And, um, you know, he he's very clear on what protein intake needs to look like and really just depends on your activity levels as well as your current muscle mass. So people who are more active with more muscle, particularly if they're engaging in resistance training, need a lot more protein. Now, in adopting that kind of approach, engaging your protein intake based on your muscle mass and your activity levels. And if you're at the same time controlling insulin by controlling your carbohydrates, that is the perfect recipe for dropping body fat and increasing muscle. And that goes a long way to maintaining health and wellness as well as functionality and aging independence. So what are the basic guidelines? I'm just going to give this to you very quickly. You can pause and replay it if you want. If you were sedentary, then you need to eat a minimum of half of your body weight in grams of protein. So if you weigh 140 pounds and you are sedentary and you don't lift weights or go to the gym with any regularity or frequency, then uh, you need to eat half of 140. You need to eat a minimum of 70 grams of protein. Now, don't confuse 70 grams of protein with the weight of 
the animal protein you might be eating. So if you take 70 grams of a chicken breast, that does not contain 70 grams of protein. So the protein is the protein content in the chicken or the fish or the beef or the lamb or whatever it is that you're eating. Now, on the other end of the scale, if you are really trying to increase your muscle mass and you're doing a lot of resistance training, you can consume one to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight. And that's a lot. Like I'm 210 pounds. And so on a routine basis, I, and I train a lot. Um, and so what you want in a circumstance like mine, if you're continuing to support your muscle and maybe even add some more, I eat routinely 190 to 200 grams of protein on a daily basis. Now, most of us are going to be somewhere between those two extremes, right? You know, hopefully you're not totally sedentary with very small muscle mass and you may not be as large as I am. You might be bigger and more muscular doing more exercise. But the point is this, is that if we target something like, especially if you're mildly active, if we target somewhere around um, 0.6 to 0.7 grams of protein per pound of body weight, your existing body weight, then I think you're probably going to be in a good place. And there are a couple of other ways to do it. You can base your protein as one gram of protein per um, goal weight. If you're trying to lose weight, let's say you're 180 pounds and you want to be 140, you could eat 140 grams of protein today. That would, uh, per day that would promote your goals, or you could do it based on your current muscle mass, which means you need to know what your body weight is as well as your body fat mass, subtract those two numbers. You get your lean body mass, and you can eat your protein based on that number, one gram per pound of lean body mass. Like I said, I, I know I went through that quickly, but that's the advantage of podcasts and YouTube videos is that you can hit pause, you can go back, and you can play it again. So in summary, um, I kind of went a little bit off field, but I, I think I communicated just the core things that you need to know about glucagon. It is the opponent and does exactly the opposite of insulin. They function together to create a hormonal environment that will promote either fat gain and body weight gain or fat liberation, fat loss, and either maintenance or potentially the increase of your muscle mass, which is always a good deal. All right, we'll leave it there and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com. That's drnoseworthy.com to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.